welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, we come before you as people. Some of, you, some of us, we come here without burdens, perhaps, but many come with burdens. Many come um, battered and beaten and have come through many toils and snares to arrive here to meet with you. And Lord, as we come into your presence and as, as if spiritually we walk right into your throne room to hear from you, to hear a word from the throne of God, from your very mouth, this book, this book of First Peter, which your servant penned, but that you have authored for us. These are words for us to hear. We pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts like that, that we're not hearing from me, we're not hearing from Peter, we're ultimately hearing from you. And what excitement, what joy is do you as you speak? What silence of our hearts should there be before your voice? And we pray that you give that this morning. Lord, make our hearts good soil for the gospel. Give us hearts that are excited to both hear from you and obey you, to do anything that you've asked because it's the very best thing we could possibly be asked to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in this series called Keep Going. It's about the uh, Christian art of not giving up. It's, it's about when everything in your life and, your, and even in your heart is bent on breaking you, and yet you get up and you dust yourself off and you continue to pursue the Lord. You continue to pursue the things that he's called you to do. Not just to continue to exist, but continue to faithfully live out what he has in his word. And this morning's text shows us that, that joy is a significant part of that. Christian joy is essential for us to keep going. Um, as you look at 1 Peter here, verses 3 through 12 are actually one long sentence in the Greek. Okay, But the verses we're going to focus on this morning are verses 6 through 9. And they have their own little kind of symmetry. They're bracketed by a word rejoice. Take a look at it in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you, re- you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These verses are bracketed on either side by a theme of rejoicing. And Peter here is not commanding them to rejoice. He's noticing their rejoicing. You can see that. that He's noticing that they're rejoicing. He's observing that they're already rejoicing. What is joy? I think it's important that we define it because it means something different than it does to our culture. John Piper writes that joy is, that Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as we see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Okay, So Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see Christ in the Word and in the world. And joy, guys, is an essential part of the Christian life. Remember what Nehemiah said about it to the people. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's joy in Christ that keeps us going. But another interesting thing about this, though, as we read it is, is that joy in the Lord does not eliminate grief. It doesn't eliminate grief. I know there's this common thing people say about church is that you got to come with a church face, you got to look happy and all that. The scriptures don't teach that at all. We don't teach that at all. So if you feel like you have to come here and put on a happy face and look perfect and all that stuff, we didn't tell you that. Bible didn't tell you that. 
Your pride might be telling you that. I don't know what's telling you that. But the scriptures don't. The scriptures are very realistic, guys, that this world is full of grief. Look at verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice. What's the next word? Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He's saying you have joy and grief. Grief is a normal part of the Christian life. Grief is to be expected because life is suffering. Life is suffering. Life is trials. Anyone that tells you otherwise is what? Selling you something. Especially those who sell the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is the idea that if you were just faithful to God and would totally surrender, he would give you health and wealth and you'd be happy. That's not true. It's clearly not true. The only way that that belief can even survive is if nobody opens their Bibles, right? Because this book doesn't teach that. From the beginning to end, it shows trials and grief, guys, right? It doesn't fit with the book of 1 Peter, and it certainly doesn't fit with Peter's life. Crucified upside down? Your best life now? They're not the same thing, guys. They're not the same thing. And so um, anyone that tells you that life is not suffering... And life is not trials selling you something. I love what Robert uh, Smith Jr. said. He said, we don't need a prosperity gospel. We need an adversity gospel. Right? We don't need a prosperity gospel. We need an adversity gospel. And that's exactly what 1 Peter gives us. A very realistic book about the way life really is. Life is suffering. Life is trials. Peter says here that it comes in various forms. You see that? Though if necessary. You know, you're going to have trials of various kinds. Various kinds. So he's not just talking about persecution. There's a theme of persecution in First Peter, but he's talking about various trials. He's talking about anything you might deal with. It could be something physical that you're dealing with, um, some physical pain or physical disease. It could be aging. It could be uh, impending death. It could be emotional things that you deal with, mental things, relational things, um, financial things. I know sometimes, guys, when we kind of bring our trials before the Lord and as we're in the Word, sometimes we feel kind of silly that maybe our trials are silly and small compared to like what other believers experience or what Peter experienced. But guys, the fact that he says various trials shows that he wants to talk about your trial too. Your trial is something that God cares about. It's real. It causes you real grief, and God really cares about it. And there's no need to compare it to other people and say, mine's not a big deal, because it is a big deal to you, and it's a big deal to the Lord. Guys, grief is the emotional response to trials. It's not a sign of a lack of faith, and it's not a sign that your faith has failed. It's a normal response, is we're not Stoics, right? We, we don't act as if there's no suffering in the world. We don't, you know, say, well, you know, the Lord promised this, so I don't feel anything, right? He says in verse 6 that simultaneous grief and joy are the normal part of the Christian life. Normal Christian life. I was talking to Richard this week. We got together for coffee, and we were talking about this passage, and he gave me a very valuable metaphor. Every time I meet with Richard, super wise man, he's always got stuff for me. You should see what you can get too. But um, I was talking to him, and he, we were talking about this, and I said, you know, how does this work with this grief and sorrow? And he said, you know, joy is like a shock absorber when we encounter various trials. You guys know how shock absorbers work, right? You're driving your car, and what they do is they absorb the impact, right? They absorb the impact. And the main purpose of shocks is actually not just for your ride to be smooth. It's actually so your tires will maintain contact with the road. Because it turns out if you have bad suspension, your tires don't make as much contact with the road, you lose traction, you die. Okay? So it's more than just comfort. Okay? But it's comfort as well. And so our joy functions so that we still feel the ruts. Right? When you got good suspension, you still feel the ruts. We still feel the pain of our trials. We're still grieved by them. But joy is something that softens the blow. It makes it so that we don't lose control, that we don't lose traction, that we don't lose our pursuit of the Lord, because it absorbs 
that trial. We need that joy, guys. And, and, if, and if joy functions as a shock absorber, as our brother Richard has said, which I believe, um, how do we get better shocks? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe your shocks are worn out. Maybe they become leaky. You know, maybe you have some issue with that. How do we get more joy so that we can absorb more impact and continue to pursue the Lord through trial? And I see a couple ways here. Um, the first way is by seeing your future clearly. Look at verse 6, how it starts. He says, in this you rejoice. Okay, we'll stop there. What's the this? The this is what came before, right? And there's a whole list of things that the Lord's done for us. But it's significantly, it's our future. In your future you rejoice, though now for a little while you're grieved with various trials. What is that future that we have? It's that future that the Lord has for us in verses 3 through 5 where he says that we have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. We need, if we're going to absorb these trials and difficulties and maintain following the Lord, we need this joy, this shock-absorbing joy by seeing the future we have. Um, several years ago, actually in 1952, a woman named Florence Chadwick, she stepped off of the Catalina Island into the water, and she wanted to be the first women, woman to swim from Catalina to the mainland of California. It's a 26-mile swim, um, which is hard enough in a swimming pool, <laughs> much harder with tides and waves and perhaps sharks, I don't know. But she had already been the first woman to swim across the English Channel, which is huge. But that day when she went to swim, it was super foggy and dark and cold. And she could hardly see any bit in front of her as she's swimming. And still she swam for 15 hours until she came to a point where she started to be begged to be taken out of the water. And there's these little boats that follow them. You probably keep sharks away and stuff like that, make sure she doesn't drown. And her, her mother was alongside her in the boat. And her mother said, no, 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 keep going. You're super close right? Finally, she was so physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted, she stopped swimming. They pulled her out of the water, and when she got on the boat, she realized she was only one mile from the shore. She just swam 25 miles. She was one mile from the shore, and in a news conference the next day, she said this, all I could see was the fog. I don't want to make excuses for myself, but I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. You guys relate to that? You guys relate to those? Weary from the trial that you're in right now, you feel like giving up, and you think, man, if I could just see the shore, maybe I could make it, right? Well, let me show you the shore again. I unpacked this last week, but I want to unpack it real quickly again, and it's that verse 4. And the reason why I need to do this again is because you're leaky. All of you are leaky. I'm leaky. Our joy is leaky, right? And so we need to hear it again. So I just want to run through this verse one more time, verse 4. It says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Remember that in the Old Testament, the Lord called the promised land the people's inheritance. And as they were wandering through the wilderness, they all knew that there was a portion of that land that was theirs. That when they got to the land, there was a portion of the land that had their name on it, their family, their clans, a name on it. The Lord, guys, has promised us a better promised land. There's a better promised land coming, a real new heavens and a new earth. It's your inheritance. And there's a portion of that with your name on it. It's your inheritance. It's kept for you in heaven, the passage says. And that land, guys, is better than the promised land, and it's better than any land here. And Peter gave us, remember, those three words to, to describe it, to encourage us. He said that that land, that promised land, that inheritance is coming is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Remember, it's imperishable. It's a place where there is no death, decay, or dysfunction that will ever destroy your enjoyment of it. 
don't know about you, but as you get older, you think more and more about your death. You think more and more about how, you know, this won't last forever. And it, and it kind of decreases your joy of the whole thing, doesn't it? When you think that way. There is no death or decay or dysfunction that will decrease your joy there because it doesn't have any of those. Um, that land that's coming to you is also undefiled. It means it's a place that is not in any way polluted by sin. Everything in this life is polluted by sin. Even, guys, our most treasured relationships, right? When we think about relationships between parents, relationships between friends and spouses and coworkers and in the church, all of it, guys, is, is polluted by sin. All our relationships have been made a lot less awesome, right, by sin, haven't they? Not so in the world to come. There'll be no sin there, so there'll be no separation between us. We'll be able to love each other and God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. And then remember that that land, it says, is unfaded, right? It's a place that never dims, never loses its beauty or glory. It's a place that never fades. Uh, This place fades. Either it's going to fade for you the things that you have. You're certainly fading. I'm fading. Our ability to enjoy this place is fading. But in that world, that will never happen. Not so in that land, right? You will never grow bored or tired in that place. Some people worry about that with heaven. The opposite of true is true. Your joy in that world will only and always increase. Your joy will be only and always increasing. You will become more and more elated in that place, more and more happy with each passing year. Your interests in your inheritance there will only increase. Your astonishment will never peak, right? And do you remember why? Why is that? Because of Jesus. Because God's there, guys. And God is infinitely beautiful, infinitely glorious, and full of infinite pleasures. Do you believe that about God? He is infinitely beauty, beautiful, infinitely glorious, and full of infinite pleasures. And because we're finite, guys, we can never take in all that he is. It's not like you arrive at heaven, you see God, maybe you're impressed for a thousand years ago. What else is there to do? No, he is infinitely beautiful, infinitely glorious, and full of infinite pleasures. And I gave this example last week, but it's like you taking a little thimble to the Pacific Ocean and trying to like bail it all into a bucket, right? It's going to take you forever. We're the same way. We're that little thimble. Our hearts are that little thimble. We cannot fit all that God is. And so we'll take in some and we'll pour it out and we'll take in more. And we can do that for eternity because he never never runs out of beauties and glories. We'll never tire of him. We'll never bore of him because there'll always be something new to discover out of him, something new of his beauty, something new of his glory. And and you'll be amazed that you could even feel so much happier than you were of the moment before. Guys, your father has marked out for you an inheritance that is unfading. It's an inheritance in him. Remember Florence Chadwick? She said, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. That's the shore. That's where you're swimming towards. And so verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice. Don't give up. You can keep swimming. And by keeping swimming, I don't just mean exist. Like some of us think like, oh, I got this hope in heaven so I can sit here without, you know, destroying myself and wait for it. No. Seeing that shore makes you swim. It makes you love and serve the people around you. It makes you think, why does the Lord still have me here? You know, what is there for me to do and to serve of people around me? And so we don't give up, guys. Your joy, your shock-absorbing joy is, is filled by seeing your future more clearly. Secondly, it's by seeing through your trials. And what do I mean by seeing through your trials? Well, we all, like Florence Chadwick, have fog to deal with. We all have this dark layer of fog. They're called our trials. And they obscure our view 
of the, the hope to come, right? And we need to see through that fog. And I don't so much mean seeing through it to see the shore. We do need to do that. I mean seeing through what it says about itself. Because our trials make claims. Our trials tell us things that are lies, right? That fog around her told her she was going to die, right? That fog told her there's no way out. That fog told her it was never ending. Guys, your trials are also lying to you, and you need to see through it. You need to see that the things it claims aren't true. Our trials claim things like this. That, that, that our trials claim that they're endless, right? This is endless. This goes on forever. Our trials claim that they're needless. Why this needless suffering, right? You've never felt that? Our trials claim that they're taking away everything you value, and all three of those things aren't true. Take a look at our text. If you're a believer, none of those things are true about your trial. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying three shocking things about your uh, trials here. He's saying they're short, they're needed, and they'll be rewarded. And you think, that seems kind of blunt that you would say that to me. And I know the trials that are here, not all of you, but I know a lot of them. Some of them are unbelievably hard. Some of them I don't know how I would carry them. But Peter comes to us here with a fresh dose of truth, and we got to believe this because this is from the mouth of God, that your trial right now is short, needed, and it'll be rewarded. First, it's short. Look at verse 6. He says, though now for a little while. Isn't that interesting? Peter says that your trial is for a little while. How can Peter say such a thing? How could Peter say such a thing? Doesn't Peter know that there's marriages that just grind on difficult for decades? Doesn't doesn't Peter know that there's chronically wayward children? Doesn't Peter know that there's chronic loneliness and chronic infertility and chronic lifelong diseases that are either painful or destructive to your body? I mean, doesn't he know that there's chronic mental illness that some people just have to carry? Does he know that? How can he say that it's a little while? Seems insensitive in a way, doesn't it? It's for a little while. You think, well, not mine. But guys, the reason he could say for a little while is because he isn't just counting your first 70 years. He's counting your first 70 million years. You guys realize that because of the resurrection. You will be around enjoying the presence of God in a resurrected body 70 million years from now and just getting started. So when he takes that timeline into account, he goes, this is a little while. Even if it was for the full 70, it would be for a little while, right? Remember, guys, that our culture, remember from the first week I gave a list of ways our culture disciples us? One of the ways it disciples us is it, 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 it causes us to think about immediacy instead of eternity. It calls us to think of our best life now. It, it tells us that you only have one life to live, but it lies. That's not true. You don't have one life to live. Guys, this is not your only life, and this isn't your best one, just so you know. It's not your only one, and certainly not your best one, unless you're an unbeliever, in which case this is your best life now. For believers, though, this is not your best life. This is the worst it'll be. Isn't that amazing? And so keep faithful, guys. Keep faithful serving in that hard marriage or that tough friendship or with that bodily pain. It's for a little while compared to what you have in the resurrection. And maybe you can't see the shore right now, but I want to tell you this. You've got one mile to go. You've gone 25. You've got one mile to go. It's just a little while. The trial's short. And you're going to see that the second you stand up on that shore. You're going to look back at it, and you're going to look forward to what you have. And you go, like, that was a little while. That's a perspective we can have now. Secondly, your trial is needed. This one sounds blunt too, right? Verse 6. Though now, for a little while, 
if necessary. He's saying your trial, guys, your trial tells you that it is unnecessary suffering. Don't you guys feel like that every time something bad happens? You're like, well, this is unnecessary. Like, that's your first response, right? No good could come of this. You know, why, Lord? This too? You know, what we're saying is this is unnecessary. This is unnecessary suffering. And none of us are for, if we can see a point to suffering, then we feel a little bit better about it. But unnecessary suffering, don't have much tolerance for it, guys. Your trial, though, right now is necessary for you. He says, if necessary, which means if it's happening, it is necessary. That's what he's saying here. And why is it necessary? I mean, Peter's saying that whatever I'm going through right now, whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going to go through, and I'm an anxious person, so I think about these things. I got a whole list of things that are about to happen to me. Whatever that thing is, Peter's saying, you need it. Isn't that intense? Isn't that amazing? And you say, well, why? And you know what I'll tell you? I don't know. I don't know why you need it. I think a lot of times people want pastors to tell them that. This is what I'm going through. This is this. And, you know, I don't know why the Lord is doing this. And I'm like, I don't know either. Right? It's not apparent to us. You know who it is apparent to? It's apparent to God, which is the most important part. Because God is wise, right? And he's good. God's goodness means that everything God does is worthy of approval. God's wisdom means that he always chooses the best possible goals and the best route to those goals. So if God is good and he's wise, we should trust in him. But it might not be apparent in this life. It may be. And a lot of times you guys will tell stories of your trials from years ago and the things God put you through that were just living, just nightmare. And you look back on it now and you say, I see what the Lord was doing. And God does sometimes give us that, the ability to see it in the time. Sometimes we won't know until we get there, Right? But he knows why. Where is he ultimately taking us? Romans 8.28 talks about this. I know the ultimate goal of what he's doing. I just don't know why you needed it now. I don't know that. God may share that with you. He might not until later. But ultimately, he's doing this. Romans 8.28. We know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then we don't often read the next part, which is very important. Works together for good. What good? It's in the next verse. Important. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's he saying the purpose there is? To be like Jesus. The ultimate purpose, I don't know why you needed it right now, but I know the ultimate thing he's going for is he's making you more like Christ. That's what he's doing in those trials. We, whatever befalls us, and I know that's a scary whatever, we needed. And we needed it to be conformed to the image of Christ. And different people know different th- need different things. And I have no way to explain why different people have to deal with different things. You guys remember with, with Peter and John, you know, there's a question, well, what about him? When will, what will happen to him? And Jesus said, you follow me. You don't worry about him. You follow me. And so he has a different course for each one of us. But I'll tell you this, guys. Your, your father is good and he is wise. And God is more than willing to spare you any unnecessary suffering. Do you believe that about God? God is more than willing. He's a good father. He's a better father than any of you fathers. And he is more than willing to spare you any unnecessary tr- trouble, any unnecessary suffering. And so the trial you're in now is necessary, and he knows why. We need to trust him. We need to trust him. That's the best I can do is say trust him. And he's trustworthy. Third, your trial will be rewarded. Your trials try to convince you that they're taking away everything you value in this life. It's going to be everything you ever wanted. They're just going to take, take, take from you. But this text says that your faith under trial right now is going to be rewarded. That there's a reward coming for this. 
Guys, your faith is extremely valuable. We see that in this text. Peter says that it's, your faith is more precious than gold, even gold that's been seriously refined by fire, like pure gold. Your faith is worth more than that. And he, he makes an argument for it. He says, you know, that even totally pure gold eventually perishes. When he makes the new world, he, he burns up the elements of this world. He makes the world new, and he's going to destroy all that gold. And so long after that gold is destroyed, the faith that you have in your trial today will be remembered and rewarded. And that's why it's more precious than gold. It's extremely valuable. Your faith is extremely valuable to you. It should be extremely valuable to you because your faith is what connects you to the saving benefits of Christ. A lot of times when we say we're saved by faith, we kind of make the mistake that we're saved uh, in response to our faith, that somehow our faith earns our salvation. That's not what's happening here. It's not that you build up this credit of faith and you buy salvation from God, right? He's not, he's not paying for your faith with salvation. No, salvation, Christ pays for our, our debt. Christ earned our salvation. Your faith doesn't earn salvation. Christ earned salvation. But faith is the grabbing hold of it. Faith is the empty hand that reaches out for the lifeline of Christ, right? Faith is the, the calling out to God to receive. Faith is an empty hand. We bring nothing to him. We bring nothing to the table except for need, and he fills it with Christ. And so your faith is that. But guys, don't you ever wonder, like, is my faith real? Have you ever had that? Ever think, like, is my faith real? He's saying in this text that, that suffering, that trials actually purify our faith. They show our faith to be genuine. This is really important. A lot of you guys have already, you've been following the Lord maybe for a year or a month or 10 years or 40 years, and you've been through a lot of difficult things with the Lord. A lot of difficult things. He has allowed all kinds of very hard trials in your life, and you're still holding on to Him. That should give you great assurance that your faith is real. Tested genuineness, right? Isaiah 48.10 says this, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. There's many of you guys that I know right here, and you've been tried in the furnace of affliction. Your faith has, has come out pure and been tested, and it's genuine, and you should rejoice in that. But this text actually talks more about how your faith is valuable to God. God values your faith. And I'll, I'll put it a different way. The Lord loves to be trusted by you. Did you know that? The Lord loves it when you trust him. Loves it when you trust him. Guys, you love it when people trust you, right? When, when, when a client trusts you, and you say something, and they go like, oh, okay, that sounds great, you know? Or a friend trusts you. Maybe they trust you with their burdens. Or a spouse or a kid trusts you. When people trust you, you love the feeling of being trusted. God loves being trusted by his people, as any person does. And he especially appreciates you trusting him right now in the trial you're in. You're in this heat of affliction, this difficulty, and you're trusting God, and the Lord loves that you trust him. He enjoys that you trust him. Verse 7 says that the Lord will reward the fact that you're trusting him right now. He says, and I'm going to take out a little part of this verse because it's a parenthetical thing. You'll see a little dash, and then it'll say something in another dash. Maybe yours has parentheses. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, dot, 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 may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's, do you see that praise and glory and honor? And when does it happen? It comes when Christ returns. There's going to be praise and glory and honor. But that praise, glory, and honor is not actually grammatically connected to Jesus or God. Do you know what it's connected to? Your faith. In the Greek, it's saying your faith is going to be showered with praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You think, 
whoa. Like, I didn't know the Bible said stuff like that. It does. That your faith will be rewarded with praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the Lord's so amazing because we saw in verse 3, he gave us the faith in the first place. It says he caused us to be born again to a living hope. He gave you the faith in the first place. Verse 5 says he sustains your faith, that he's guarding you through faith. So he gave it to you. He guards it. He empowers it. He energizes your faith. And then at the end, he turns around and goes, you know what? I'm going to reward you for that faith. Isn't that crazy? Like, how generous is this? I gave you the faith. I kept your faith going. And you know what? You deserve a reward for this. And you're like, I don't. It's all grace, guys. But he rewards that faith with praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, that faith that he gave you, he sustains, he rewards. And I know some of you guys, when we talk about eternal rewards and stuff, you might say, well, you know, I don't really feel like I need a reward. I'm just happy that God saves us by grace through faith, which is completely true. We get there completely because of Christ. But then the Bible does talk about rewarding us on top of that, rewarding our faithfulness, rewarding our endurance. And you might say, well, like, I don't really need a reward. You know, I'm just happy to be there. I don't need this praise, honor, and glory. And it sounds super humble, guys. But the fact of the matter is, is you guys all like glory, honor, and praise. All of you do. You just seek it from the wrong people. Right? You're like, oh, I don't need glory, honor, and praise. And it's like, well, it sure looks like you do. We all want it. We all just seek it from the wrong person, right? We seek it from each other. Jesus said this, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Right? Jesus is saying, it's fine to seek glory, honor, and praise. Seek it from God. Stop seeking it from each other. And so what we all seek affirmation at our work, in our relationships, through social media. But the bottom line is, guys, is you aim too low and you settle for too little. Right? You know that feeling that you get when somebody you really value praises you? you know, maybe it's a mentor or a mentor at work or a spiritual mentor of yours or a parent or somebody that just say, like, wow, that was really well done and I'm so proud of you and things like that. You know that feeling you get? How's it feel? Imagine feeling what that feels like from Yahweh. Okay? <laughs> like, imagine the person you respect most giving you that. And now imagine your creator, Yahweh, the Ancient of Days, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Live for that. Live for that. Seriously. Everything you do, live for that. Live for that. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Guys, all human praise is nothing compared to that. And, and some people say, you know what, like, no heavenly reward could possibly make up for all this suffering. But the thing is, is they don't, they don't know what it feels like to be to receive praise and glory and honor from our creator at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, God, life is short, and the reward is huge. Let me read a passage that talks about this. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says this, So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renew being renewed day by day. And then listen to the echo of the language, very similar to Peter. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Guys, if you can see through that fog, your trial, it's like a fog trying to discourage you, trying to tell you these lies. If you can see that your trials are short, they're needed, and they're rewarded, it's going to fill you with a joy that's going to absorb those shocks and absorb those difficulties and keep you going. You're going to be able to glorify God through trials. And I'll tell you, I mean, those of you who've been around a long time and you've seen friends go through severe trials, maybe, you know, fatal uh, conditions or very difficult, you know, divorce or things that were just really painful. 
Um, you guys know that, that our people shine most when they suffer, don't they? I mean, it's fall, right? And so we're seeing all these leaves. People love seeing these leaves. What are these leaves doing? They're dying. And just like fall leaves, guys, God's people are most beautiful as they die. They are. They're most beautiful as they die, as they suffer faithfully and they die for Christ. God's people glorify most in that time. We will all have a time to do that. And it's a time that God will sustain us in. And one of the ways he'll sustain us is by this last thing here. I love verses 8 and 9 because it says that there's that future joy coming, but in the present, we actually get to enjoy some of that joy now. Look at verse 8 and 9. This is the last way kind of our faith, our joy is, is, is filled so that we can absorb shocks. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As your, your shock-absorbing joy is strengthened by savoring Christ's presence now. That's what that's talking about. Now, I don't have enough time to do justice to this verse. I feel like this is a verse that we could spend a whole lot of time on. But um, one thing to notice is Peter is amazed at their faith. Do you notice that? Peter's like, you guys have never seen him, and you believe in him, and you love him, and you rejoice in him. It's kind of strange, isn't it? Because these people he's writing to, they didn't see Jesus, okay? These are first century people, but they didn't see Jesus. They're in the same boat we're in. They heard the testimony of Peter. They heard the testimony of the other apostles. A lot of times we think, if I lived back then, you know, it would have been easier. I would have seen Jesus. No, you wouldn't have. They didn't see Jesus. Only a select amount of people, really, that lived in a certain area ever could see Jesus. These people are far removed from there. But he's amazed at it. It is amazing when you think about it. Listen to it again. Listen to this as if it's about you. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see Jesus now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It is amazing, right? It's amazing. What, what's happened there? What's happened there is that the Holy Spirit had given these people and you an inner ability to savor Jesus. Your soul has become equipped with taste buds that can savor and taste the goodness of Jesus. That's not a small thing. Your soul didn't come with those. You realize that, right? They're not standard. They don't come. That's aftermarket, right? That's when you come to Christ. The Holy Spirit gives you an ability in the soul to savor Jesus. That word believe in, it actually has the sense of believe into. You believe into Jesus. You kind of you rest in him. You remain in him. You, you have a place in your mind and your soul where you can crawl into Jesus and enjoy him. Is that weird? It's really weird. You have this, this place in your heart that you can commune with Christ because of your union with him. You have an ability in your heart to love, believe, and rejoice in Christ who you've never seen. That's amazing, guys. If you're a Christian today, you have that ability. And it's a miracle. And it's one of the keys of keeping going. And it's one of the things that if we neglect, it's going to be very hard to keep going, right? If you neglect that ability, it's going to make it very hard. When you love and believe and rejoice in Jesus, this passage is actually saying that you're actually enjoying a bit of the future joy now. I'll show you. Verse 9, he says this, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That word obtaining, what tense is it in? Can you tell? It's present tense. In the Greek is present tense. So I think it's present tense in English too. But obtaining, 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is saying that as we love and believe and rejoice in Jesus today, in the middle of our trials, that we're present tense obtaining something that belongs to our future salvation. Like there's something that's, that's there. It's almost like you've got, you know, you've got heaven coming, you've got that full enjoyment of Christ, the new heavens, new earth, that inheritance to come that I talked about, and it's kind of behind a big you know, safe wall. You know, there's a big safe door, and it's kept safe for you there. But around the seam, some of the joy is trickling out from the door. And you're actually able to right now, you know, enjoy some of that joy. Taste some of that joy. That's what's happening here is that the joy that you're enjoying now is something that comes from the future trickling back into the present. It's an, and it's an inexpressible joy filled with glory. Have you guys ever tried to explain to somebody that doesn't know Jesus why he makes you so happy? Did you sound dumb? He just does. You know, it's like, that's no answer, you know, right? It kind of sounds like a, any other relationship, a romantic relationship even. Like, why do you like him so much? I don't know, I just do. Like, why do you keep following him? He just makes me so happy. Okay, that's normal, right? It says it's an inexpressible joy filled with glory. The fact that you can't express it is totally normal. Actually, that's great. If you could fully explain it, maybe you don't have it right? It's an inexpressible joy. It says it's filled with glory because glory, guys, is a word that means you've been in the presence of God. It's an inexpressible joy that comes from being in the presence of, of God. You guys know that word rejoice in verses 6 and 9? Allegeo? That word for joy, it was never used in secular Greek at that time. Did you know that the biblical writers made up a word for something that only we have? Secular Greek writers didn't need the word because they didn't have that joy. So when they felt this inexpressible joy, they, they looked through all the Greek words, and Greek's very good at describing all kinds of things. Went, none of those will work. We shall make a new word. Right? This word is a word for something that the world doesn't have, only you have. And this kind of joy and communion with the living Christ is available now. There's that full enjoyment coming, but even now we can enjoy communion with Christ. I want to give you three ways real quick. First way would be in his word, right? That's what we've been doing the last 30 minutes or so, right? Is we've been tasting the joy of the world to come through his word. And you can do that too throughout the week. And I know many of you do, but I want to remind you, it's open all the time. Okay? Like, it's not like, you know, Chick-fil-A. You want it, don't you? You can't have it today. It's closed on Sundays. It's one of the great tortures of modern life. <laughs> Guys, the word's open all the time. This joy is always available. What do you need to do? You need to find a quiet place. Some of you laugh. They have small children. You need to find noise-canceling headphones. 60 bucks on Amazon. Be worth it, okay? Noise-canceling headphones would be great if you can't find a quiet place. And then you open this book just about anywhere. Open it up. You'll find something. And then pray. You know, Psalm 119 says, show me beautiful things in your word. So you open it up. You're like, I'm coming into the presence of God. You open it up. You say, Lord, show me beautiful things in your word. Lord, show me your glory. Lord, give me inexpressible joy that's filled with glory. That'd be a good prayer, right? Before you read, I would like some inexpressible joy filled with glory, please. And then you know what you need to do after that? Stay till he gives it to you. Okay? Because a lot of times we're like, you know, oh, Lord, like one minute goes by, you check your Instagram, and you're like, well, I guess there's nothing here. You know, it's like, stay. <laughs> Wait till he gives it to you. 
Another way that we get it is through worship, guys. Worshiping together, singing, is one of the ways that we enjoy this inexpressible joy filled with glory. Guys, this joy is something we can't express with words, right? It's inexpressible. That's why God gave us the gift of music. You realize that? God gave the gift of music as a way to express something we can't express with just words. And some of you guys are just, you're prose people. You're not poetry people. You're not interested in singing. You're not interested in worship. You know, just let me read, the, read Romans or something. Guys, God gave a book called the Psalms. And in it, it says to rejoice in God all the time. And you know what the book of Psalms is? Songs. He says, sing to me. So you're having a hard time expressing your joy? Sing to me, it'll help. Right? He made singing for that purpose. Guys, worship music provides a vehicle to express more of our inexpressible joy that fills our hearts than words could alone. And so I would say, on Sunday morning when you come here, come with anticipation that you're going to do that. That you're going to rejoice in him with inexpressible joy. And that the words of the songs and singing, the act of singing together is going to help you do that. Right? And stay, too. Like, okay, it's over. We're out of here. No, stay and worship. Lastly, one more way. It's not the last way, but one other way. One other way that we commune with the living Christ and enjoy a joy that's inexpressible is through communion. Guys, as we take the bread and the cup, we remember his body and blood, and the Holy Spirit gives us a special communion with Christ. That's, I think, why it's called communion, by the way, just so you know. Um, is that we, through the Holy Spirit, are connected to Christ such that we can enjoy his presence in a special way through communion. And I know some of you guys come from a background where communion was not a big deal to you. You know, Lord's Supper was not a big deal. It wasn't a big deal to me until a couple years ago. I was um, teaching over at the French Valley campus, and Mike Majeski came up to me after I had introduced communion, and he goes, he goes, hey, and then Mike Majeski kind of way, he's like, hey, so um, sounds to me like you think that communion is just a remembrance and nothing more. And I was like, okay, um, maybe. What's the right answer? And then, and then he goes, he goes, well, let me, let me ask you this. He goes, if you didn't read the Bible for a month, would it affect you? And I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes, if you didn't pray for a month, would it affect you? I'm like, oh, yeah. And he goes, if, if you avoided the fellowship of other believers for a month, would it affect you? I said, oh, yeah. And he goes, if you didn't take communion for a month, would it affect you? And I was like, oh. Because I kind of like knew that the right answer is probably yes, but I didn't feel like it, you know? Because I downplayed communion. Guys, communion is actually a time that we fellowship with Christ and that he feeds us in a different way than he feeds us through the word and prayer. And he has different ways of feeding us. So it's not for us to go like, well, I only get this fed this one way. He's got a variety of ways to feed you on his presence. And this is a very special way of feeding us. And so uh, what we want to do as we take communion is we want to feed on his presence, rejoice in him, and be strengthened for the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word from you, this word from heaven. Lord, I pray that you would um, drive it deep into our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't be able to just kind of walk away and forget about it, that we wouldn't walk away unchanged. Lord, we need to think rightly about our trials. We believe everything the world's told us. We believe everything our trials have told us, and you've told us that they are short, that they are needed, and that they're rewarded. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us with that. Also, Lord, I just want to pray, like your son said, whoever believes in him, as the scriptures say, out of that person's heart will flow rivers of living water. Lord, give us that living water. Lord, give us that inner gush 
of your presence. Give us that inner supply of joy. Lord, I pray for all of us here, Lord, who know you, that you would stir up an inexpressible joy filled with glory. And I pray, Lord, for those who are here that don't know you, for those that are here that if they don't come to know your son, this is their best life. And what's coming is only judgment. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see that. And I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to see the gift of your son that you have put forth, like this communion, you've put forth your son to be the full punishment for our sins. And then if we take hold of him, like we take hold of this bread and this cup, by faith, that you'll forgive all of our sins, that you'll give us all of his righteousness, and that you'll welcome us fully into your kingdom. Nothing in our hands do we bring, only to the cross we cling. And we pray, Lord, that that would be our heart today. I pray for anybody, Lord, that's here, that has come, maybe in this passage, has come to discover that they do not have an inexpressible joy filled with glory. I pray, Lord, that you give it to them today. I just think of people <laughs> driving away in their cars and not knowing why they're so happy. Something they've never felt before, and it's you. I pray you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.